curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. For many of us, Seth Barnett has been the voice of the millennial in the promotional products industry for a number of years, dating back to his role at PPAI. In the five years that he was there, he was really responsible for lending a voice to that generation and had a big hand in the launch of what has become PPAI Spark. Now, as Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at AIM, Seth brings a lot of that information and knowledge that he developed during his time at PPAI to bear for AIM members. And as a result of his education and experience, he's been able to provide really noteworthy insights as to behavior, behavioral economics and the ways that stresses and other outside forces affect people's buying habits. So nothing like a pandemic to sharpen that concept. And I thought it would be really interesting to bring Seth on for a discussion about that. Give it a listen. Well, I think service providers are in a unique position right now because unlike suppliers and distributors who are dealing with their own sort of four walls, your job is to look at the marketplace and look at both sides of the transaction and try to determine from your own business perspective kind of what it is that AIM might be able to do in the way of solution set to help bring fixes to the problems that you're witnessing on both sides of the transaction. So it was a big reason why I wanted to bring you on specifically as a representative of AIM. And then, you know, obviously I respect your opinion and you and I have had really great in-depth conversations over the years about the meanings of things. So I know that you have uh, your own beliefs and ideas about what this is all going to mean for people. So thank you for coming on and and giving us uh, your perspective. So I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat it, man. Like um, I'm on phone calls every day. I was on one today. Uh, with a supplier just before you and I got on that their outside sales force was recently reduced from 21 to 12. Uh, I I think, you know, Mm -hmm. if if we were to 
there was a way to be the ESPN for the industry, I think there would be news, breaking news like that on a pretty regular basis. And I don't think that we would all be very excited to have to hear all of those breaking news reports. But um, what, do, what do you think from the, it, I mean, when, when our biggest distributor in the industry is reporting an 80% decrease in sales, mm-hmm. and obviously we know that these are tense moments for a lot of people. So you and I have ruminated previously on the fact that we have a large percentage of our population of distributors who are at retirement age. So mm-hmm. what do you think this is going to do to that group of people specifically with respect to where they are in their decision making? I think it's going to definitely speed up their their decision making and what they're looking to do or what they were looking to do in the future. And it certainly is going to restructure some of their ideas. And as time progresses, I think that it, this this is one of those things where it's so difficult, it's so challenging because we're not looking at this with a conclusion in mind. We all have conclusion as a hope, but we don't know what that actually looks like. So I think that people are assessing, continuing to assess every single day. Some people are saying, well, and, and I've, I've talked to um, distributors who have said, well, I was looking to get out in a year and a half or two years. So I'm just speeding that up. And luckily I'm in a place where I can do that. Now, if it was somebody who was looking at maybe five years or or so down the road, maybe they're looking at it as, well, now it's about six or seven years and, or now maybe it's 10 years. And I think that the good news, if there's good news in that is that everybody will be in that together. It's not going to be, this is not a discriminatory event it is impacting everybody at some level. Some are more fortunate than others. So some businesses are more fortunate in how they approached this situation in the beginning more so than others. But at the end of the day, we are all in this, we are all going to suffer and succeed together universally. That's, that's well said. The way I was looking at it was more from like a, if I could break it down to a mathematical equation, right? Uh-huh. A lot of us, I don't know my peers' investment portfolios to understand mm-hmm. what just happened did to each of those people. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of people, what it really comes down to is how long am I going to have to work now to replace what I just lost? Yeah. And yeah. for a lot of people, the answer is going to be longer than I wanted to. <laughs> it's the truth. Right. Yeah. So- it's yeah. To to look at it in that perspective, you're right. We don't know where everybody stands, but we can assume just based on how the market is right now, how the industries are, um, we can kind of assume where people are going to be. And yes, I think that it is there's there's that certain aspect of this where yes, you're going to have to do things longer than anticipated. And it's going to be now we've got a hill in front of us that we have to climb until we get to a better place. Um, That's that can, you can look at it in kind of a negative view, like, Oh my gosh, why now? Why did this happen? And then look at it on the other side of things and say, well, maybe it's opportunity. Maybe at the top of that hill, we get to see further and we get to see more opportunity. And what I've been continuing to focus on is that as we look back at historical events of, of let's just say economic impacts, let's not even say uh, unfortunate crisis like this, but just economic impacts, the return is always every single time more substantial than it was before the fall. And we just, it's, it's that we have to hold out that hope. And it's also that 
we don't know the timeline on that. You know, the last economic recession, we didn't know the timeline of return. If you look back to 1918 and the, the Spanish flu, the last major pandemic and what happened there, and we didn't know the marketplace return and the timeline there, but the return was there. And so I think that if we are able to do our best to maintain right now and not give in to too much of the fear, there will be that time whenever we do, we look back on this and say, oh man, we are so much better off now than we were before. And it's as, as somebody, I mean, I, all of us remember the 2007, 2008, 2009, and just looking at that and saying how the world is never going to come back. This is horrible. It's devastating. We're torn apart. And then up to this point, we could look back and say, man, that was almost a hiccup in the entire situation because it made us better and it made us smarter and it made businesses more effective. So I think holding out that sort of hope um, as this progresses and look, this is going to progress a long time. There's no question, but um, it's going to be hard to hold out that hope, but we still have to maintain it. Yeah, there's a we'll we'll get to the concepts of scarcity and an abundance in a little bit because to me clearly this is a moment of it's really a, a function of the way you are approaching it from a mindset perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, it's is this a setback or is this just an opportunity to learn? Right. Right. Um, uh, fidget spinners didn't exist, and then they did, and then they really don't <laughs> exist again. Yeah. Right. So yeah there's these moments in time that we all face and certainly there's um, the gravity of this one might be a little bit deeper than uh, a fidget spinner uh, situation, mm -hmm. but clearly it, it, it's a function of, do you want to grow with the opportunity or were you comfortable enough with the way things were that the idea of having to go through a period of metamorphosis is more than you really want to undertake. Yeah, that's true. So it's just a function of where you come out on that. So, there's that, that end of the spectrum, but then you've been such an advocate for the younger generations and in some ways uh, the industry kind of tapped you to be a spokesperson for millennials for a good stretch of that time during when you were uh, working for PPAI. So as the person who's perceiving it from a younger age than a lot of us and having connections with other folks in the industry who are of a similar age, how do you feel like the younger folks are going to handle this? I mean, the one thing that I'm really, really interested in, Seth, is when you're just getting going, if you have maybe your first big mortgage mm -hmm. and maybe you've brought on, you know, you've, you've had a couple kids that are young and, you know, now all of a sudden everything that you counted on has been, has been turned completely upside down. I think a lot of people just naturally assume that younger people are less affected by things like this. So I want to, to give you got you a chance to weigh in on that perspective as well. Yeah, I I think that from my my generation's perspective from the millennials and I sit kind of right in the middle of that group, we're certainly most of us are walking on very cracked glass at this point and it's it's unfortunate and especially because you're absolutely right, this group has been slow to adopt traditional expenses, uh, traditional kind of adult expenses. And particularly that's a factor because of where they came from. Um, so many of that group, the, the largest group of millennials was right there around, uh, came, came to market right there around uh, the time of the last economic recession. And so a lot was learned from that. And they 
took those sort of principles that they learned and have adopted that into their practices of life. And so they've been slower to get married and have children and buy homes. And, and even I can remember a couple, two or three years ago, looking at some statistics and how many were not buying homes. And then there was a lot of speculation on why they weren't buying homes. Oh, it's because they don't know how to save or, you know, all these different factors. And I was looking at it and saying, well, no, I am so resistant to debt because of the world that I immediately came into. I mean, I graduated from college in 2009 in the worst economic market in a hundred years. And it just, you know, it, it, it ingrained this in me to, to say now I've, I've got sort of uh, the ability to look at things and say, well, I don't want to take on unnecessary debt. Now we've gotten to a place in the past couple of years where they've started to do that. And then here's this situation. I'm hopeful at least speaking from the millennial, especially that that mid-market millennial perspective, that I'm hopeful that so much of that knowledge is still ingrained in that group to where they didn't go into a mortgage without any savings, like what happened to collapse the housing market back to start the whole economic recession. I hope that they didn't get into those situations to where if something happens to their job or their uh, savings or something that they're able to at least maintain a little bit longer. And it also, I'm hoping what we've learned is that you can never be too prepared and never be not just too cautious, but too sure. Um, I always tell people, especially looking at it from an economics perspective, the the economy is is a living breathing thing and sometimes it gets a cold now that cold is not terminal but it is going to impact because it's going to slow things down now hopefully the economy gets over the cold and quicker rather than later but at some point it will um, but it's going to happen again and again and again um, so it's it's unfortunate the circumstance that put us into this but look we were overdue for a bear market I'm hoping that a lot of people prepared for that, um, especially those that remember the last economic recession, though it was so long ago at this point, but hopefully we took something from that and we've learned from that. Um, but then also speaking on the younger generation's behalf, you look at the next group, the Generation Z group that's coming after the millennials, and we're starting, we're going to start to see that group graduate from college soon and enter the marketplace. And they're entering a very similar world to where the vast majority of millennials entered. And so um, it's going to be very, very difficult for that group of people to enter this uh, either during this or post this because it is going to take a long time for the economic engine to start up again and, and to really maintain. But I'm hoping that they learn from it. Um, hopefully it makes them smarter and more able to adapt to future economic situations that will inevitably happen time and again in their life. Um, but I do feel for that group because I remember, I mean, I remember being a senior in college in 2008, September 15th, 2008, the day when the banks collapsed. I mean, I'll never forget that date because I thought I've worked so hard. I've gotten almost to the end and you're telling me that everything is going to be different and I can't get a job and I'm not going to make money. It's just to be there. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. But look, I am somebody as the rest of people that are around my age can attest to, it's going to be okay. You're going to take some pretty crappy jobs for a while. And that's okay. You're going to make some not great money for a while. And that's okay. Because look, you're going to get past it. You're going to learn from it and you're going to be so much better in the future because of it. Yeah, that that's so true. 
we I've got some of my uh, business peers are responsible for like startup incubators and things like that where they're mm -hmm. immersed in Gen Z culture. I think the difference between millennials and Gen Z is the, the, uh, the average millennial who was 22 graduating from college was about 13 or 14 when 9-11 happened. Right. So that generation had an opportunity to understand what a really bad situation looked like. And then yes. upon graduation was uh, reintroduced to what a bad situation would look like. Whereas Gen Z has enjoyed pretty much an uninterrupted period of economic prosperity for the entirety of their adolescence and young adulthood. Yep. So what we're hearing from the people who are uh, immersed in Gen Z culture is there is a full on freak out going on amongst them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and no doubt. And there, the there first should time, be. <laughs> and, and they've been empowered by parents to believe that they can do anything yep. and that they've been allowed the opportunity to explore the top end of their talent in many ways because we had a prosperous economy. Right. So welcome to the real world, Gen Z. This is what it's like. <laughs> and the thing that I think all of us need to take from a lesson in this instance is if you are in year seven or more of a prosperous economy, you should be looking over your shoulder the entire time because at any point in time, really beyond year five, mm -hmm. something's coming. And I, for yeah, those of is. us who have been through this a few times, mm -hmm. especially those of us who may have been really financially um, affected in the Great Recession, mm -hmm. we've had our eyes over our shoulder this entire time. Sure. Because we knew that it was just inevitable. So, so welcome to the real world, Gen Z. And Seth tell, is telling you the truth. It's going to be cool. Don't worry about yeah. it. It's a short-term hit. You have plenty of time to make more money. Mm -hmm. Unlike the rest of us who might be a little bit closer to the finish line, this has a far different implication for us. So from your perspective in the quote, what does it all mean arena? Where, where are you hearing these discussions lead? Because here's what I'm, I'm seeing. For those of us who didn't get sick or have a direct family member or someone close to us or even a coworker, where we're faced with the realities of having to deal with the health problem, mm -hmm. most of the rest of us have our eyes on the horizon and when's this thing going to get started again and what am I going to do? So um, let's talk about this whole idea of abundance mentality, scarcity mentality, or do you, like, what are you hearing and what do you think is going to be the prevailing order of the day to get people through this? Well, I always subscribe to the idea that scarcity is actually best because it, it shows us, it allows us to be lean. And the more lean that we are as a business, as a society, then the more adaptable we can, we become to situations like this. Um, we, we see avenues of abundance that have happened over the last decade in our that really if you look at a time of recovery a time of recovery is the entire time after an economic downturn i don't want to say a recession but any economic downturn to the next economic downturn that's all that time and i think that if you look at immediately following recessions or economic downturns in that time of return, you see that people are more focused on scarcity and more focused on, on um, what is scarce and how do I fulfill the needs based on that without getting into that area of abundance. But then as time progresses, like we've said in the previous talk, that the 
everything starts to become a little bit more comfortable. And so people are naturally less focused on scarcity. So um, again, I think that we get back to that place where we focus on what truly matters, what allows us to be lean, what allows our businesses to function in such a way. And then on what, what I'm hearing out there, and I've talked to so many people in multiple industries and, and different areas of thought throughout these past five or six weeks. And the number one thing that I'm learning that I want to focus on above all else is the air of optimism that's out there. None of us know what the timeline is. None of us hold the answers. And I've talked talk to people who are epidemiologists. I've talked to people in the medical community. Nobody has an answer. And that's okay because none of us do. There's not somebody that's holding a key to all of this. But so I think that there's still this air of optimism because of that. The market is going to turn down and continue to turn down for all of us um, in some way or form. And that's okay. I think that so many of the people that I've talked to, even the ones that have called me and said, oh, you know, unfortunately I lost my job, but here's what I want to do. I want to use this time to think through and think about what I really want and, and use this. And I keep telling people whenever they come to me with those conversations, I say, this is almost like a forced reset or a forced evaluation of your own life and your career situation. And um, I, I went into this with kind of, especially this first couple of weeks with this negative approach of, I wonder what's going to, what's going to happen in this. And, you know, I worry for myself and my family and my friends and the industry and the, those that I support and represent um, and really worry about what the outcome of that. And then somebody told me, I was talking to them about that and they said, well, or look at it like this, we're going to be at a place where we come to the end of this. It's the idea that we will come to the end of this. I mean, that's, we are, we are, going to find that place of whatever it may be. And, and it's going to be, it's not going to be an end date. It's not going to be an end opportunity. But as we get over that hump and we start to find better opportunities for ourselves and for our businesses, we can look back thoughtfully on what we've learned and what we've learned that we want to be personally, what we want to be as a business and hopefully make all the situations better for everybody involved. And I do feel for those people that have lost their jobs and I hope that they are able to stay optimistic and hold out hope that there is going to be something better for them in the future. It's the same advice that I would give to somebody coming out of college this year and coming into a marketplace that's so unsure. And they may take a job that they don't want in the interim. I, I certainly did that. I had several jobs that I didn't want in the very beginning because it wasn't the direction I wanted to go, but you have to pay the bills. But you use the time to focus on truly what matters and what you're learning. And then hopefully at the end of that, you're able to leverage yourself into a much better place than you would have otherwise. You hear these stories, and it's so interesting. I hear these stories from my parents' generation, generation and even my brothers are, are part of Generation X. And you hear them say, oh, I graduated college and took this job because it was exactly what I wanted. And five years later, I was miserable. And, and <laughs> right. I, I never had that. I never had that challenge because nobody would hire me anyway. So it, it worked out that I could take time to make some money and then figure out what really mattered and what I really wanted and then leverage that into something that ultimately became a, a career path that I've been very happy with. So Again, this is this is a time of forced reset, and that's an okay thing. You bring up a couple of really good points. Do you know uh, some of the businesses that got started in the Great Recession include 
Airbnb and Uber. That's right. Yeah. So with constraint comes creativity. So true. And when you are faced in a moment of constrained resources, it forces you to have to figure out ways to do things in ways that you may not have considered if there was abundant resources. So those of you that came out in 08, 09 from a graduation perspective, it really forced you to be able and willing to take risks that perhaps many other college graduates didn't have to even think about when they were graduating from college. So I think it actually in the long run armed that group of graduates with a different and better skill set in a lot of ways because you, you just were forced to have to be able to be creative with your job decisions in that period because you had no choice. And then not necessarily a scarcity mindset, but understanding that concept that constraint breeds creativity and then having an optimistic viewpoint on your ability to be able to use your creativity in this time of constraint is really where most of, uh, most of what I would perceive emerging people coming into the job market now really need to be focused on. And I think society has relaxed in the last 10 years to allow and afford for that being okay for someone when they first get out of college to go right into being an entrepreneur and trying to forge their mm -hmm. own way in ways that maybe even 10 years ago was a little bit less uh, paved of a road. You know, we, there's been a lot of people who've been forced into that scenario because of what happened in the Great Recession. So there's lots of coaches and, and mentors and consultants that any person could reach out to in their networks and say, like, how did you go about doing this the last time this all went down? Because here we are faced with that again. And if I don't have that experience, what great benefit to have to be able to lean on somebody who may have been through that before. So um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Seth, is, you know, uh, you're probably the most educated person I've ever had on the show as far as like book learning and the things that you've been able to accomplish from, from um, a study perspective. So, and, and I love oftentimes in your writing, the perspective that you take as an observer. So uh, what benefit do you think that provides you in times like this? And how might you suggest to others ways that they might adopt even a small part of that strategy for themselves in what is a very chaotic time like this. Yeah, it has made me the, especially as time has progressed, it has made me focus on situations in a very unique way. And one of the things, especially where I am as, as a student right now and as a researcher, I, my goal is to look at all this different information that's out there and find gaps. And it is really difficult to find gaps, even though the, the level of doctoral study in the business understanding is not quite as vast as it is in some of the other fields and, print, and principal areas. But um, it's, you're still trying to find these gaps in our, our thought process and our, the way we run businesses and our financial perspective. And it's a challenge to find those gaps. Then you come to a situation like this and it is a giant gap. And so there's, I, I talk with a lot of my, my uh, education colleagues and we really are looking at all these different facets of what's happening and what is it, what level of understanding there has to be in order for businesses to one, maintain, two, be able to come back stronger than they were. And then also how do we better prepare for situations like this in the future? Because 
this is, if we look throughout history, this is an inevitability that's going to happen. I hope that once we get past this, um, that this doesn't happen again within any of our lifetimes, but it certainly could. So what are we learning from that and what, uh, what information is there that can help in those understandings? And so um, from my side of things, I continue to look at it in a way that's how are we, what are we learning? How are we able to adapt that learning into something that is useful and is a tool and a resource for others to be able to utilize as time progresses? Um, and then on the other side of things, I look at it like we constantly, especially in academia, we're constantly looking for better and better examples of certain things. And I got into the really um, dove quite into the deep end um, of academia whenever I started to study economics in a very big way and started to look at behavioral economics. And one thing in behavioral economics, it was really difficult to give examples for me to sit down and say, this is what it is. And now all of a sudden, here's this, this situation that's come up and now I can explain to you behavioral economics with using toilet paper. And I never thought, you know, if you told me that six months ago, I'd have called you crazy. So it's it's things like that that I'm able to adapt the the knowledge base that I've got and utilize uh, those to fill in the help to fill in those gaps, even in just a small way. And I suspect that people all across academia, in any different uh, perspective, in any different uh, focus, they're probably finding adaptation and what they're doing to the current situation, whether that be, you know, biology or epidemiology or business or math or literature or whatever it may be, there is something that those groups are learning out of what's going on right now. And um, they're applying that, their, their resources and their knowledge to fulfilling those specific gaps um, in these certain situations. So I think that that's what's going on. Um, as far as what people can take away from it, I, constantly am telling people focus on what you're learning and I'm one that look we whenever this started my wife and I turned off the news we, we don't we just don't watch the news I try to not look at news stories on social media I read the Wall Street Journal to kind of see what's going on economically all the other stuff I will get the information that's necessary and the rest of it is fluff and so I'm, I'm focused on what I'm learning in the critical areas. Where are the critical areas of thought and what am I learning? And the problem with the news media and focusing on that is that we're instantly able, it's, it's supposed to capture our attention and capture our emotions very, very quickly. And, and it kind of, we sort of spiral off. And I always am telling people, what are you learning? But not, what are you learning from the news or what did you learn today? But what are you learning overall? What have you gone and you've heard a news story, you've read something and you thought, well, that can't be right or that scares me and I want to find out more information. Go, go seek it out. Seek out the answers and focus on what you're learning from that. I even saw something on Facebook this morning. Somebody posted a, a video about a couple of the towns in, in Texas where I am. We're starting to open things back up, obviously with a, a lot of guidelines and stipulations, but they were saying, you know, one argument was, oh, well, this is terrible. I, this is going to hurt so many people. And then the other argument is, yeah, but we got to get back to business and, you know, all of these things. While both of those are valid in some way, it's not substantiated. So go out and find additional information and create your own argument based on what you're finding. And I think that that's where I, I want people to take something away from how 
the, the academic perspective can apply to all of us is seek out answers and then seek out an additional answer to that answer because there's just so many dead ends out there right now. Um, I, I, I tell people, turn off the news. It's turn it off for a week and you'll be amazed how much happier you are, happier you are with life. Um, but still, if you see something that interests you or scares you or it energizes you, go out and find additional resources to support that and really round that out and figure out what am I learning? Yeah, that's good advice. The one thing that I've been suggesting to people is in your opportunity to review what you do and how you do it. We all have time to do that right now, which oftentimes when you talk to people really prior to March 14th, the one adjective that you heard more often than any other was busy. Yeah. We're not busy. Nope. So if you're not working in your business, like all of us had been when we were saying we were too busy to work on our business, what's your excuse now? So there's really two areas that I try to focus people on is, does what you do make you happy? Because if it doesn't make you happy, 22 million people filed for unemployment in the last 30 days, there's going to be opportunities for you to get a new job if you want one. (laughs) True. So just because you had a job you didn't like prior to this doesn't mean you have to go back to that job. It's going to be all kinds of opportunities. So this is literally the greatest human capital reset since the Great Depression. Yeah, very true. There's going to be jobs and there's going to be people competing for those jobs. But if it's something that makes you happy, you're going to be better in your interview because you're going to actually want to do it or work for those people. And then the second piece of it is if you own your own business and you're always worried about like, there's this guy across town or this girl down the road that are doing things that are making a segment of my business challenging because they do it in a way that's better than how I do it. Maybe you need to rethink how you do that part of your work. Yeah. Because if you're going to continuously get disrupted, you're just leaving yourself open for that. And why not use this time to figure out like, all right, I need to figure out a way to, to, to stymie that disruption or better yet, how might you be this disruptor? Mm-hmm. So well, well, the way I, uh, the provocative term that I use for that is what's your put yourself out of business strategy. Yeah. So what would you do it. if you just reimagined everything from today? Like if none of what you did up until this point matters, you could just start right now from scratch. What would you do? What would make you happy and start to figure out how to apply what you just learned about yourself to what you do. And this is the best chance you probably are ever going to get to execute on making that change. So Seth, thanks for your observations, man. I always appreciate when, when I get a chance to talk to you, you always leave me with things to think about. And I think for the old folks in our industry, uh, getting to hear from the younger folks in the industry about where their heads are on things is important. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and talk to us. So there you have it. Seth is a great interview as you can tell. And I know that that one ran a little bit long. My apologies there in trying to look for places to edit. I just couldn't find anything that I felt comfortable taking out of that conversation. So if you found value in it like I did, you probably heard things like what the millennials view of the pandemic is. You know, they've been slow to adopt traditional expenses. So Hopefully they have stayed disciplined in that activity uh, as they approach the pandemic. Gen Z obviously is looking at this from a completely different perspective. And we really have a multi-generational effect of this pandemic. And I think it's important for us to recognize that it's affecting different people in different ways. And then the idea of the scarcity mindset creating innovation. 
and the reason that uh, we see people have an air of optimism, people really thinking about what it is that they want to do with their lives that will make them happy and reimagining their businesses in a way that would allow them to then wake up every day and be excited about what they do. I hope you feel that way too. If you don't, obviously, this is a great opportunity for you to be reimagining yourself. In the meantime, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, share it around with people, let people know what's going on here at So You're In Sales. And we will continue to bring new and interesting topics to the podcast as we have done traditionally. Thanks again for all of your listening. And if you've not subscribed, please be sure to do so. Have a great day.